0: In this episode number six, I talk to Henry Stevens, who is currently a student at law at our law firm, Cannabis Law, and also with Paul Lewin at Lewin Segarra. Prior to law school, Henry worked in the agriculture, healthcare, and international development sectors for nearly 20 years over three continents. She has worked in small grassroots organizations and large multinational corporations, She is a champion of justice and fairness, and returned to law school to hone her advocacy skills. Before joining Cannabis Law, Henry volunteered at a social justice-focused sole practitioner's law firm, whose practice areas included civil litigation, human rights, and labor and employment. She also attended the Michener Institute and successfully completed Health Professionals' Introduction to Cannabis to better understand the medicinal and therapeutic uses of cannabis. Welcome to the podcast, Henry Stevens. Ah, well, thanks so much, Russell. I'm happy to to have you here. This is, this is great. Have you had any other podcast interviews or are you, is this the first?
1: This is the very first. I mean, I was a little bit nervous to be honest. Um, but yeah, I'm, it's my first podcast ever. So here we are. Awesome. I'm so,
0: uh, I feel very excited to, to present you to the world in podcast form. Um, all right, well, maybe what you can do to start off is just give me, uh, who are you? Like, who are you? Who, who are am you? I? Henry
1: Stevens. Okay. Yeah, uh, well, Henry Stevens. So I am, uh, um, right now, I am an Articlean student. I'm from Toronto. I'm someone who's been very passionate about advocacy and agriculture um and cannabis for a very long time and now i'm at a stage in my life where i've been able to marry everything into something that's going to be really beautiful
0: let, let me ask you a, a question how yeah. how uh, you, you're you're an articling student you said okay so yep. for people who don't know what art if you're if you're listening you don't know what an articling student is can you explain what an articling student is
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, an articling student is someone who's almost like a law or legal intern. Um, you know, like other professions, there's um, a period of training that's required. And um, for the practice of law, um, aside from coursework and exams, there is a mandatory um internship. And that is where you work with a lawyer um, to gain experience, actually hands-on experience in the field. Um, and in my case, I've been really fortunate to have two um, articling principles. Um, and principals are your mentors, your, your teachers, your boss the person who's guiding you through the law. And so I've been able to to navigate my way through the law with the help of both you, Russell, and also my other principal, um, Paul Lewin, who's also a cannabis lawyer and a criminal lawyer. So the articling um, placement is a 10-month placement, which is mandatory by the Law Society of Ontario um, in order to meet all the qualifications before you can become a lawyer, which also include writing the bar exam which is two exams the barrister and solicitor exams so so that is part of the the process which has been a haul for me i've done it part-time so i'm really happy that now coming up on just after 10 years i'm nearing the end of this process my god 10 years yeah well, so yeah.
0: why 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 10 years that's that seems like is it because it's
1: part-time It is because it's part time. And also, um, I didn't go a conventional route. Um, I had already been working um, in the international development sector and agriculture for several years. And I actually decided to go back to law school um, as a second career and as a mature student, because I felt as though I could make more change as a lawyer or at least with the tools um, of advocacy uh, versus what I was doing which was a lot more grassroots at the time. Um, Before law I was working um, in the not-for-profit sector with specifically fair trade and organic agriculture practices and promotion Um, and I was doing a lot of work um, in. East Africa, um, and some work in the Caribbean and Central America, and I was really enjoying the work. It was just very difficult to see change. Um, And I said to myself, you know, how can I actually make a difference that was more concrete? Um, And law seemed like um, the best best option. And here I am. Oh, yeah. And so, right. So 10 years was because I was working and going to school at the same time. Um, law school is not cheap. Um, and I also like to travel. So I initially decided to go to law school in England because they're all part of the common law system. Um, mm-hmm. unfortunately coming back to Canada wasn't such a seamless, um, seamless um, re-entry. I was under the impression and was given the impression at the time that it would be quite easy to just, you know, come back, but there is a little bit of, um, hmm, let's see, how do I describe it? I think that in Canada, um, law firms, um, lawyers are looking for candidates and articling candidates who have got their legal training in Canada and so people who come from abroad actually are at a little bit of a disadvantage and so it's all just taken a bit longer than I expected but you know I don't mind because it's part of the process and it's really been meant to work out this way and had I done it differently we probably wouldn't be chatting right now so you know,
0: <laughs> that's, right. <laughs> that's right choices and uh, opportunities right they're, yeah. they're very uh Sometimes it's, it's luck. I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, your own special fortitude. And I, I think in, in terms of your articling experience, for me anyway, um, it's, it, it seemed a lot like your own personal fortitude and determination, because maybe could, could you explain to me, first of all, why you wanted to have an articling experience with a cannabis lawyer? but but what also with two different cannabis lawyers I mean that's that's an incredible opportunity that you that you created for yourself can you uh maybe dive into that a little bit
1: sure so um why cannabis law um I've always had a connection to cannabis um and It's strange. Like, uh, when I was quite young, I mean, this is before I could legally even touch cannabis, but I always had an interest and some type of, um, passion about this plant. I mean, Mm. I brought up in a Caribbean household, uh, very much connected to, um, you know, uh, reggae music and reggae culture and um, I always had this fascination with a plant and I guess part of it is that my parents are quite conservative and they already always spoke really negatively about it so that's all you need to do for me to be interested um, <laughs> and I and I also come from an agriculture family like um, a farming family my dad and his side of the family are all farmers specifically banana farming. Um, and also some animal husbandry, but um, I'm used to agriculture. And when we were growing up, my parents had a community garden that my sister and I were a part of. And yeah, I just always interested in, in plants um, and the connection to, um, to plants and um, cannabis just always seemed like a really beautiful plant. The leaf itself is really aesthetically pleasing to look at. And I like how it's a really calming, it's very calming. Um, something that I remember, um, you know, as a young person going out that the people who were under the influence of cannabis were always the cool people. They Mm. were, they were never, um, uh, super excitable. They were never, um, getting really into any issues. Okay. We're going to have to cut some of this out, Russell. Um, <laughs> oh, but... <no>. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? What's happening?
0: I I I'm with you. I think well, right. this is great. Like, no, no, I thought, okay, mm-hmm. but we can cut it if you like, but I, yeah. I think your description of your, your experience with cannabis with enjoying cannabis and enjoying the people who you're having an experience um, smoking with, yeah, Uh, it's cool. It's great. This is, this is, uh, we're, we're, I don't know. I mean, from my own perspective, I'm also interested in, um, stigma busting. And, uh, I mean, I grew up around alcohol and, uh, and a little bit of cannabis and I, and so my experiences with alcohol were really tough, you know, like I, I, I just never agreed with alcohol. I would always, you know, end up throwing up at the end of the night because I couldn't, couldn't take it. And and then when I smoked the joint, it would be like, Oh, this is, this is a lot different. This is, I like this, you know, the feeling a different perception of reality. And, uh, and that's what, I mean, I like you, I'm, I, I was driven to uh, to cannabis because of its effect on my body and my mind. Right. And, and so Mm -hmm. uh, I became, um, uh, I guess, a spokesperson for the plant uh, in that way because of how it made me feel. So I totally relate. Okay. Yeah.
1: Oh, right. Well, so yeah, there's certainly, yeah, there is that connection. And it's one of those things where, you know, for the most part, you have to experience it. And if not, at least witness the difference when you see people who kind of partake and are in communion with cannabis versus people who are drinking. Um, and that's not a judgment call, because I also enjoy um, a drink. But um, I just like that cannabis takes you to another level. It gives you a chance to have some introspection. Um, you know, it's 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 so natural and it comes from the earth, and you know the idea that something that was derived and and comes naturally would be sanctioned so heavily and policed really heavily. It just never really sat well with me, um, and uh, yeah, I just didn't like the fact that it was something that was policed quite heavily, um, and it wasn't right especially because I could see the benefits of it. As someone who also like uses cannabis and someone who has witnessed the benefits of cannabis, um, it just seemed like an area of the law that really required a lot of expansion and also advocacy. Um, And so, yeah, um, when I first started thinking about the law, I was trying to think about what area of the law I wanted to work in. And before Canvas came up as a, a real option, I was thinking about, you know, human rights law or maybe labor law, um, and then especially I liked human rights. But everyone advised me, "Oh, well, you need to have something with human rights," um, and uh, yeah. I started to look at the people who are working in the cannabis space. um, And this was probably since about 2016, 2015, around there. And there were very few people. Um, there were very few people and um, yeah I just started to kind of follow a couple people and that's yourself um, and also Paul and uh, just to see what was happening and yeah um, I kind of started to reach out to people in the cannabis space and say hi um i'm Henria. uh you know nice to meet you i like what you're doing can we work together and i think after um harassing people for several years because the articling placements took a very long time. It wasn't easy. Um, You know, uh, there aren't a lot of cannabis lawyers um, and it's not like it is the most lucrative area of the law. So um, it's an area where you really have to, to work at it. And so after several years of really grinding, I was able to secure this joint placement and it's really amazing. No point, pun intended. There,
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> but um,
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> my, uh, it was great because you know you are um, you're a cannabis lawyer, but you're also. An artist. Um, You also have experience on the corporate side of law, and I thought it was really beautiful how you married the two into something that's really quite lovely. And then Paul, yeah, and then Paul, on the other hand, is a criminal lawyer um, who also does um, cannabis law, and the criminal side was also something quite interesting to see um, that side of cannabis and the law. So right. really the two of you, like, I mean, I think the thing about cannabis, like we said, it's a really, it's a really kind of happy and there's a lot of camaraderie within that, that space. And so, you know, I approach both of you and you're willing to uh, take me on uh, both as a part-time articling uh, student. And um, yeah, I guess here we are. So it's Ooh. been great. Mm-hmm. How, yeah.
0: How has it been? I mean, I, you know, I obviously, You're not going to tell me how terrible it's been with me, but you can, of course, (laughs) I want you to be honest, you know? Um, but, uh, but how really, how has it been, especially during, like, during the pandemic? I mean, what a crazy time to be an articling student for two lawyers, two different lawyers and all the different responsibilities you have in the cases you're, you're doing and like how, I mean, it, it must be a lot. Is it?
1: Yeah. Well, right. It has been a real, uh, balancing act and COVID. I'm not too sure if COVID has helped or hindered it, but, um, you know, COVID has made it certainly a unique experience. I mean, I had to, um, you know, navigate the court system, which was now all virtual, uh, which was not really something we were ever prepared for. And also, um, It's very different areas of cannabis laws, very broad. If you think about cannabis and how it relates to so many different things that, um, you know, the work that I see with both of you is very, very different. Um, A lot of uh, the work um, I've done with Paul has been more with uh, the AGCO. um, And that is for people who are looking to, um, you know, Establish uh, licensed, uh, um, t- sorry, establish um, cannabis stores as LPs, licensed producers, and then um, there's been a lot of pro bono work for both um, for both of my placements in the cannabis space because something you know people you know should understand is that. Cannabis has not been this lucrative market that it is. I mean, most people who are in the cannabis space pre, um, pre-legalization pre were doing it from a medicinal standpoint, um, uh, and they were doing it because they were passionate about the plant, not because they wanted to get extremely rich. And so, a lot of the clients that, that I've been serving are people who actually um, don't actually have the money um, for for legal representation, which is really kind of sad because these are people who have either been sanctioned for for cannabis uh, before it was legal um, and are now not benefiting from actually being able to work in this space or they're people who've been discriminated against because of cannabis you know we've seen people who've had issues with their employers because they are medicinal i'm um, sorry medical cannabis users we've seen people who've been at risk of eviction because they use uh, cannabis as medicine and they grow it in their homes. So um, it, when it comes to advocacy, that has been, I'd say the biggest part of the work that I've done. I mean, even working with medical patients who are trying to get um, their insurance covered um, for for their medical cannabis or who are just trying to, um, you know, be treated without discrimination or or risk to their to their growers. So I mean, it's been it's been really quite varied um, and very interesting and exciting because it's constantly evolving. Um, New issues crop up a lot. And then there's also the issue of people who have been Heavily sanctioned, like I mentioned before, by cannabis uh, legal um, cannabis um, laws in the past, as it was illegal. Who are now still not able to participate fully in the cannabis space. So, I mean, I mean, as happy I as I am about legalization, it hasn't really benefited um, people in a very uh, um, in, a, in a in a fair manner. I would say um so so yeah it's let, it's been tricky
0: yeah let let's let's tackle one of those Now you said said a lot of great things and i wanted to I want to follow up on, on some of those one one is um the uh discrimination that people are experiencing either if they're a tenant and they're growing cannabis for medical purposes or they're an employee and they're uh are they, are they losing their work because of, of medical cannabis use? I mean, tell, maybe it let, let's let drill down to employees first. And, and because you've written a blog piece, which we're going to post this week.
1: Oh, and thanks. I want,
0: and yeah, yeah, it's a great piece. I want to, um, I want to kind of give a full um, uh, description of what, what you've uh, written. Maybe you can tell me a bit about uh, what you learned in terms of, Employees and cannabis use on the job for medical purposes, and do they have to disclose? Can you keep it private? You know, um, drug testing. Maybe just to, you know, kind of run through some of the things you've you've discovered.
1: Okay, so I mean, with cannabis because it's a new, it's new to, uh, it's it's recently, um, um, anyhow. Let's start that over. Um, So the issue with cannabis is that the laws don't cover all the issues. There's a lot of gray and a very big area of gray is the employment, um, the employment sector. So you have, you have laws that talk about um, impairment and, and that's quite vague. Um, And the law right now says that it's up to the employer to um, put forward some sort of policy um, and a policy to say what is allowed and what is impairment, um, but it is up to the workplace and the employer to enforce this. Um, it, so it's very tricky because it depends on the policy that your company has. Um, and the other caveat is that if you are working in a space where there is um, uh, let's see here how to describe it. It's just, you have, um, sorry, I've lost my train of thought, but, um, what I want to say is. Were you thinking
0: um, of, of like, uh, if you're working at something that um like you're driving a bus or right right but there's a term a forklift or...
1: there's a term for it that i can't remember like i'd like to refer to my um piece but if you are in if you're working in an area where you're you are operating um uh, machinery heavy machinery and um, there's certain yes. there's certain areas of 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 employment where you cannot have any type of um impairment at all um when you're, the term
0: I'm reading reading from your your blog right your your draft blog piece right now safety sensitive position right you- there you
1: go thank you safety sensitive yeah. positions and safety sensitive positions could be if you're a bus driver um if you are working with heavy machinery and um, say you're working um you know washing the windows of of buildings especially in the construction uh, um in the construction uh sites that type of work there is for the most part zero tolerance um mm. and there is also the expe- expectation that you disclose and so the idea is once oh, a wait work- can
0: I can I, hold on can yeah. I, can I, can I, uh, before you tell me what 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 the rule is say i'm uh I'm uh, like, let's say, okay, so I'm a window washer, for example, you raise a window washer. And if I, if I've got some serious back pain, but I take a couple puffs off of my vaporizer before I go wash the windows and it helps me relieve my back pain. Well, what's the problem with that?
1: Well, you know, there is no problem if you disclose and your employer is okay with that. Mm. Um, And so that's the great part about it, because it really depends on the policy that your employer has in place. There is not a blanket rule that says you cannot have cannabis on the job. Um, And I also have to distinguish between recreational and medical cannabis, because recreational cannabis... um, is really um, not something. It's almost like, say you were going to be drinking on the job. You wouldn't do that. So when I'm referring to cannabis on the job, I'm only referring to medical cannabis, just to be clear. Right. Right,
0: um,
1: right. And uh, the idea is if you had any type of illness and you would disclose that to your employer, you would do the same thing for cannabis. Um, and Really, I would just urge people, um, employers, employees, to look to their employee employer policy because that is really what drives it now. Um, so. It's really the employee's responsibility to be proactive, to see what is in place. Um, Mm. But it's tricky because I've seen situations where people have wanted to disclose, but they have been told by maybe their union, maybe their employer that um, if don't tell us um, or if you use cannabis, you can't work here you can't say that like an employer cannot say that, you know, employees have rights and there is recourse. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing about that is the recourse doesn't come immediately. And that is the risk. Um, and that's what makes it a little bit tricky and unfortunate. Like it would be great if the cannabis act, um, which is the law that governs cannabis legalization, if it was very clear um, and if maybe they're the ones who set the rules, but the Cannabis Act left things to the provinces um, and the provinces left a lot of enforcement uh, to both municipalities and employers. And so because um, there isn't really one set rule for all, it makes it it makes it a little bit challenging for employees. Um, so but- uh, so where, where do
0: employees go if they have like been terminated? You know, is it do you go to the court? Do you go where do you go?
1: Uh, yeah, well, you could go to tribunals. You could go to the um, um, to the the Human Rights Tribunal. Uh, that's the HRTO, Human Rights Tribunal of Ontario. If we're speaking about a matter in our province, um, and there is recourse. Uh, the only thing is, you might be out of a job for a while while you're trying to um, actually um, settle your matter. Um, you can get. You can get a cannabis lawyer or, you know, you can get a lawyer who can represent you um, in discussions with your employer. Um, you can go to your HR um, to see what the policy is or if they have implemented a policy. Because without a policy, an employer could not uh, legally, um, legally sanction an employee um, mm-hmm. unless they were doing something, you know, unless they were putting other people in um, in harm's way. Um, so it's very, very gray. I would say it can be quite case specific. And that's what's very difficult about um, cannabis, cannabis and cannabis law, it hasn't really come through in the way that people would have liked, perhaps like, uh, in order for us to be able to have a joint which is nice in 2018, it came with um, not the same types of frameworks that could have helped us to avoid where we are right now. Um, okay, so what, like, what's,
0: what's somebody to do if they want to, instead of have a glass of wine in the evening, they want to smoke a joint or they want to have an edible or they're using something with cannabis in it that, that may come out positive on a drug test. What, what if they're, uh, they have drug testing at their uh, place of work and they're a recreational user. And so they're going to test positive. What uh, is, is it, could they get fired? I mean, is it, is this, is this something that you're, that you've seen or that you've heard about, or is there, is there a way around this or is there a way through this or what's uh, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, what I've seen is that um first off drug testing is also quite tricky in Canada it happens very rarely and it happens in really highly um, specified areas that usually require heavy machinery um, not even our our trucking our truckers have mandatory uh, uh, drug testing so it's it it's very rare and employees can actually say no to drug testing um, you know unless it's for actually uh, a The the employer can prove that it is actually required, you know, as part of the the job to say that you have have no drugs in your system at all. And there's very few of those um, jobs in, um, I would say, in Canada. But what an employee can do, and I can't say so much for a recreational employee so much as a medical user, is say with... uh, documentation why they need cannabis and so far we've seen that if an employee has the support of a medical professional who says yes they needed to treat this and yes this can actually enhance their job performance employers have to honor that and they actually have to accommodate their employees Um, they have to accommodate employees in fact until it, it is too much of a burden in terms of the financial cost Um, there is, if you refer to my, um, my blog post, there is there, you know, there's a term for that. Um, Russell, uh, I mean, it's, it's there that says like, it has to be, um, oh, shucks. What is it? Um, undue Mm -hmm. hardship of the employer that's, you can, they have to accommodate until it's undue hardship. Um, so really, um, uh, I would say that employers and employees are meant to come to the bargaining table in an open and honest fashion. Um, Unfortunately, um, just from the clients uh, that we've seen so far, it hasn't really worked out um, too well for the cannabis users, the medical cannabis users. We've seen that they have been sanctioned, we see that they have been let go, um, but it's you know, been deemed to be another reason, not their medical cannabis use. And so this is an area where there has to be more protections for employees.
0: Right. Yeah. Excellent. I, I totally, yeah, I couldn't find it. I'm glad you, glad you, uh, you, uh, you figured it out. You're, you do, you know, for the first time on a podcast, Henry, you're doing amazing. I think um, this is great. I want to, I, I want to go on to uh, the other area of discrimination, which is for tenants, so do you yeah. have experience with tenants and cannabis use and landlords uh uncomfortability?
1: Yeah, we do. Unfortunately, um that's also a big issue. And you know, I put this back to the idea of education and awareness about, uh, cannabis. Unfortunately in the past there, you know, the media shone a spotlight on, uh, grow ops and people's homes and mold and how it's so dangerous for, uh, landlords and just beware and don't allow it to happen. But, you know, the technologies have changed so much and really improved. And if you just, you know, um, If you just, you know, a simple YouTube video could help somebody but really there's so many resources now online about how to have a safe grow. So we have seen more than once where we have clients that have a very safe grow for their medical purposes, and landlords because more to do with their own bias Than because any risk to their property have said to their have threatened their their tenants have said you have to leave or you have to you have to cut down all your plants or or Mm. or or, or we won't have you and that is against the law that's that is against the law and it's very discriminatory and it doesn't actually um It doesn't serve anybody well, because the issue is people are growing their own medicine because of the cost of cannabis. Even though cannabis is legal, it is not that affordable, especially for medical users. I think um, people often forget there is quite a gap between the recreational user and and the medical user of cannabis. Some people really need to be accessing their cannabis multiple times a day and in m- very strong forms like so oil um, very often with medical users they use CBD um, which is you know cannabis uh, that isn't uh, doesn't have the same psychoactive effects as cannabis with THC mm. and CBD is much more expensive uh, the seeds are more expensive uh, and it's not as popular in the LPs they don't they don't sell it as much because it doesn't get you high um, and so medical users are actually have been losing out a lot in terms of cannabis legalization. They're still paying the same amount of money for their cannabis, if not more. And now they have a spotlight on them, which has caused more sanctions. So we've seen people in major disputes where we've had to go to the landlord and and tenant tribunal where, you know, there's been, you know, talk of civil litigation um, because of the harassment we, that we've seen tenants face. And I guess um, on the tenants perspective, I would urge people if you're gonna have a grow um, to do it, have a tent, you know, invest your money to make sure that it's safe, not just for you, but for the space that you're in. Um, and also, um, for landlords, just to do your research on on cannabis, especially medical cannabis and how people can grow safely. Um, and the reason why so many people grow themselves is, like I said, the cost. Um, it's very expensive. And unfortunately, for a lot of medical cannabis users, there's no, um, there's no coverage for insurance. It's not like um, you know OHIP is covering. Um, you know, CBD oil for, for for the vast majority of patients. That's just not the case. So it's very tricky and um, people have to be aware. Um, and, you know, sometimes I say disclosure is a good thing, but not always because people have their bias. Um, and that's why I think education is so critical to cannabis and to cannabis really flourishing um, because without awareness, people will still come to the table and still bring their bias to these to these situations, which really it's so unnecessary. And I actually find that, medical cannabis users are some of the most informed people when it comes to best practices for, for growing, um, cannabis, you know, they really are some of the the best experts.
0: As, as we, uh, evolve in our, um, scientific evidence and, and the number of studies for medical cannabis and the efficacy as, as we're beginning to, compile more and more evidence is there that right now everything is really reliant upon not everything but the a large majority of medical cannabis come um the efficacy comes from people's experiences do you have personal experience with medical cannabis and its effect and its usefulness i mean is this something that came out of your own personal experience or is it, did it just come out of research
1: um, well, no, it's a bit of both, actually, like, aside from just my personal interest in cannabis, not just as something recreational, but its benefits. Um, I also have seen firsthand the uh, the benefits of medical cannabis. Um, like I mentioned before, I grew up in a relatively conservative household. Um, and I could not openly talk about cannabis or really even let my parents know I was ever, um, using cannabis. That was just a no go in my household. And, um, in fact, over this past summer with COVID, um, It was my first opportunity to grow my own cannabis plants. You know, now we're all entitled, um, legally entitled to grow four plants. And I said, hey, let me give it a go. And I was growing them in my parents' backyard, unbeknownst to them because they spend their time in the Caribbean. And uh, I was a bit nervous about when they were going to come up and see these plants in the backyard. And I was actually kind of even... um, talking to friends about maybe they could take some of the plants because I was afraid my <laughs> parents would destroy them and that would destroy me. Um, and so uh, I decided, okay, my parents are coming up. Let me have this conversation with them. And I was so pleased. And I mean, I mean this is going to sound kind of odd. My My cousin, my dad's favorite, favorite cousin um, was uh, dying of prostate cancer in St. Mm-hmm. Vincent and the Grenadines where my family's from. And he was, um, you know, uh, I would say pretty much a lifelong teetoler um, and mm-hmm. someone Uh, You know, a medical professional, a gynecologist and someone who was did not believe in cannabis until he started to deal with the pain from his cancer and the only thing that was able to help him was cannabis and my parents used to visit him on a regular basis and they were kind of shocked. Um, to see that he was using it. And he said to them that this was the only thing that was working for him. And so when I said to my parents, I'm growing cannabis, my dad said, that's fine. And I couldn't believe it. (laughs) I I, I couldn't (laughs) believe it. But see, that's where education is so important. People have all these, there's so much stigma attached to cannabis that isn't warranted. And it comes from politicians. It comes from big pharma. It comes from, you know, just, you know, lack of awareness. And my parents didn't realize how beneficial cannabis could be. And when they saw how it helped, um, my dad's cousin, uh, they were sold. Um, and moreover, my mom actually has, um, Alzheimer's. um, And uh, she's been dealing with Alzheimer's for a couple of years now. Mm. And we we have seen as a family, the benefit of cannabis for her in terms of her anxiety, in terms of her appetite um, in terms of um, helping to keep her calm in, in terms of helping her with sleep. And so cannabis has really been, A savior of sorts for our family. And I never expected when I first developed my relationship with cannabis that it would have, you know, that the plant would have so many benefits to me. um, and, and, and to me in a very broad way, you know, in terms of career and family and health, but it has been so great. I mean, I really have to say cannabis, um, has been like a lifesaver for our family, especially when it comes to my mom and her Alzheimer's. Um, so yeah, um, she, she uses the cannabis that I grew, um, which has some THC in it for nighttime to help her with sleep. And we also had to get a script with her from, um, um, from a a medical establishment that kind of focuses on cannabis scripts for doctors who aren't comfortable with that. And so now she also uses CBD in the daytime to help with appetite um, and anxiety. So cannabis has been such a blessing to, to my life in, in so many ways. Excellent.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's, that's so beautiful. I'm, I'm really, I'm very uh, encouraged, excited for your mom. First of all, encouraged that, that um, your parents, especially your dad shifted his uh, perceptions based on his, his uh, co- his cousin's experience. His cousin, yeah. And, and that, and that was in St. Vincent. Yeah. And yeah. can, can you maybe, uh, you said also at the beginning, your dad, um, was a banana, is a banana farmer? Was a banana farmer in yeah. St. Vincent? Yeah,
1: so my my dad's family, um, they were banana farmers for a very long time in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And so they have, and my uncle has continued to, to farm. Um, but uh, farming in, um, in the Caribbean, especially banana farming, has become quite difficult before, um, uh, islands that were part of the uh, the Commonwealth had preferential trade agreements with the United Kingdom and were able to compete on the global market. Um, but um, with the World Trade Organization and and free trade, those preferential agreements were scrapped, um, and so they could no longer compete against you know these. Um, Uh, I want to say the doles and chiquitas of banana farming, and it was no longer, it was no longer viable. And so Mm -hmm. um, the part of what I was always kind of interested me in terms of farming myself was that, Hey, perhaps we could diversify and start working in the cannabis space. Cannabis Mm -hmm. has been decriminalized in St. Vincent and the Grenadines. So it seemed like a really, natural um, progression. And from my own experience, I can say that with the volcanic soil of St. Vincent, um, the cannabis there is actually unbelievable. So anyone who's been there and has been able to experience something about the volcanic soil, um, it's really fantastic. And so I thought, hey, great, let us do this. But, you know, like I said, there are these negative connotations with cannabis and in the Caribbean. And when it comes to, you know, like I talked about the reggae music, there's this idea and stigma um, about, you know, people who maybe aren't so productive in society and just based on nothing really just real stigma, which I think was something that was um, encouraged by politicians and the ruling class just as a way of of controlling people. But um, right. now that it's legal, it is actually something that my family is starting to investigate seriously. Um, the government of St. Vincent has a, a major contract with a cannabis producer in California. And so they have rented out quite a bit of their, their land. To to this um, this one uh, company, but farmers are are now encouraged um, that they're not going to get their crops burned down by you know the American government, um, which happens quite a bit in Saint Vincent and many Caribbean islands. Um, that's not happening anymore, and so farmers I think recognize that this is a crop that is actually quite viable um, and can help sustain, um, sustain the economy, um, in a way that bananas can no longer can could, could no longer do.
0: Oh, excellent. I'm really excited to hear that. That's great. Mm-hmm. A, a welcome shift. Oh, and, for sure. um, um, I can't, I, I, I've got to visit St. Vincent. I've got to, you know, you do. I've never been to St. Vincent. What, what, what's it like as an Island?
1: So St. Vincent and the Grenadines is a small island, um, as compared to the other, um, bigger, more popular destinations like Jamaica or Barbados, um, with St. Vincent up until I think 2015, I believe you couldn't go, um, to that, um, that set of islands directly. You would have to fly via either Barbados or Trinidad, which made it a bit more difficult to access, but it is a very rugged terrain. There is a volcano, which is actually still erupting at the moment. The volcano actually began erupting in December and we had, oh no. um, yeah. So, um, uh, there is an active, uh, volcano on the Island, La Souffre, and, um, it's, it has a rugged mountainous terrain, um, with an interior that is, isn't really, um, inhabited. And most people live along the coast. Um, the revenue comes from agriculture for the most part because tourism, has been stalled um, because people haven't been able to access it easily. So really agriculture is the mainstay of the economy. Um, There are the Grenadines, which is actually the only place for tourism, but that's really tourists. I wouldn't say the rich and the famous, but certainly not your average tourist. It's not like going to Cancun for an all-inclusive. Um, these are people who are into to yachting um, and to snorkeling because we have the keys, the Tobago keys, which are beautiful. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, St. Vincent in the Grenadines also encompasses Mustique um, and Mustique has its own, um, its own, it's own world. Actually, it's like a, a, a you know, a world unto itself. So St. Vincent is um, a beautiful island with a population of about 110,000 people, which is spread out over St. Vincent, the, 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 the biggest island, and a series of Gren- Grenadine islands um, that include Bequay, um, Mustique, Canawan, the Tobago Keys, Myro, um, and yeah, a couple more uninhabited islands.
0: Oh man, that's I I I, I'm uh uh I don't know I'm very I'm speechless here, but I'm excited to with the the prospect of tourism opening up so that regular people like me would be able to fly there with my family and you know to travel around and um uh, you know and and not go to the resort kind of no yeah I'm not a big resort person um. I always prefer going off the beaten track and, you know, talking and living with, you know, uh, visiting, well really with locals and learning about the culture, you know, and that's, that's one of the, the
1: well, joys right. of
0: traveling, right? And St. So.
1: Vincent is certainly one of those islands. I don't think we have one, like the island is quite small, so there isn't one big hotel. We don't have any all-inclusive Hotels on the island. You're going to go for a very different experience. You would not go to you would not go to Saint Vincent for a sandals resort experience. You just won't get it. Um, right. It's certainly a lot more um, uh, rustic, and it is um, a very different experience than you know. I've been to several islands, and there's really nothing like Saint Vincent. Um, it's very unique, and um, yeah, you just have to experience it. It's a beautiful place. Beautiful. And
0: I, I know you mentioned, um, education going back to education and, and how your family has been transformed. Really. It sounds like transformed yeah. with the potential wanting to embrace cannabis as a potential, uh, uh, you know, crop to farm and, uh, and in, in your experience, you, you've also been really interested, uh, I know in senior education and senior use of cannabis and, Um, maybe, can you tell me a bit about that? I mean, cause your, your parents are, are they, they're seniors, right? Yeah, they're seniors. And And,
1: yeah, they're the perfect example of the lack of awareness and people who are brought up at a time where the stigma was so strong that their ideas about cannabis were formed not from their own experiences, but you know, what they were being told by their religious leaders and, and politicians of the day. And so I recognize that there is a real gap when it comes to understanding the benefits of cannabis especially with senior citizens who could benefit so much from cannabis as medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, um, seniors suffer a lot from issues like arthritis and, and chronic pain and CBD oil is so good for that. Even, even cannabis with THD is very good for that. And you can do it in small doses. I mean, as some, um, There's the idea that you're going to get high, but it's not. People can microdose. And there's also a lot, especially because there is so much science behind it now, you can titrate. And by titrate, I mean you start at one dose and gradually you increase up or down in in minute doses so that there's never the risk that you're going to have some type of psychotic episode, which is pretty much what the reefer madness, um, you know, um, that, that kind of, uh, political, um, I don't know what I call it, but that, that noise that, that politicians of the day were were saying about the dangers of it, which is really discriminatory as well as an aside, but, um, yeah, cannabis is so beneficial, but seniors don't know anything about it. And they don't feel comfortable speaking to their doctors who are very often maybe their age or a bit younger who have some of the same um, biases. And so the question is, where do you go? Um, You know, my parents aren't so tech savvy. So it's not to say like my dad would look up CBD oil benefits um, or a lot of the seniors that are in my life. And so it would be really great if The education piece, as much as I understand the importance of saying to the youth, you know, don't use cannabis until you're older and your brain is fully developed. I get that. I respect that. But maybe we talk to seniors about, hey, here are some of the benefits of using this versus the plethora of drugs that you're on prescription medication which also mm-hmm. has very detrimental side effects, because we don't really talk about um, the fact that, um, where is this messaging coming from? Um, and I don't think cannabis is established enough to, to promote the benefits of cannabis. Um, and by that, I mean cannabis advocates and, and, and advocacy around cannabis, whereas the machine that is Big Pharma can tell you about all the benefits of their drugs and they go into doctor's offices and they can do all that, that isn't really happening in the cannabis spaces yet. So it's really important that seniors are made aware. I mean, we've spoken about this too, Russell, how can people become more aware if it's through community centers, if it's through, you know, Um, religious bodies because you know there's a lot of seniors in churches so Mm -hmm. you know how to get to them so that they are aware of how this can benefit them and Mm -hmm. also to break the stigma because now that my parents are on board, um, that has spread within their 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 group of peers, and so now my parents' friends know um, how my mom is being treated uh, for her Alzheimer's. Um, people in a her and in, in their church family are aware, and so sometimes they'll come and ask me questions. Um, and so, what I think would be great if there was more people who could provide those answers in a space where people don't feel threatened or, or pressured. Um, and that's really lacking with cannabis legalization. We made it legal, but we didn't actually tell people what we were, what we were making legal. And so all Mm -hmm. people think it is, is a drug that you can use recreationally and not a medicine that can really help, um, and, and help people's lives in a really fantastic and fundamental way.
0: Mm. So true. And so ironic, considering that it was uh, the brave medical uh, users who fought the government to make it legal for medical use and to expand the medical regulations. And ultimately, that led to forming the companies and the companies becoming, uh, you know, the eventual first companies of of the legalization um, uh, industry, you know, when, when, when it was legalized in 2018, the the it was the medical companies uh who became the recreational companies. And and so med the medical side has sadly taken a back seat to the recreational use. And
1: yeah, so bad yeah. And
0: that's it's uh it's kind of backwards in, in a way to to the way it it uh, all rolled out.
1: Totally. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like if people were aware of the history of cannabis and understood, like, first off, cannabis wasn't always illegal in Canada. It was legal. Um, And then um, all these, all these, um, you know, cannabis, I think it was even um, opium, a couple other drugs became like, uh, you know, like class class A uh, um, prohibited substances. And it mm-hmm. wasn't really because there was proof that said, hey, these are very dangerous. I mean, I am not going to include psychedelics in this, but really just that people weren't aware there was lack of education and there's one or two outliers um, that might've motivated politicians as well as this new big lobbying group that was big pharma. I mean, in the United States, Aspirin replaced cannabis as the leading um, uh, prescription of choice, uh-huh. but people don't know that or talk about it. Women used to be prescribed cannabis for their menstrual pains, for anxiety, and then they discovered aspirin. And and then cannabis became illegal um, and the situation wasn't very different in Canada. So yeah, if only people knew the history, I think they would also have a better understanding and respect for the plant. It wasn't the plant that was bad. It was really how politicians decided to treat it. Um, like we, we, in fact, were the ones who created this stigma around cannabis that wasn't something that cannabis actually created itself.
0: And, and then during the prohibition, so many people unnecessarily criminally sanctioned uh, receiving, you know, jail time, criminal records, and now that it's legalized, uh, what's the government doing?
1: Anything? Well, well, Lord Russell, let's not talk about that travesty, because my. <laughs> well, let's talk
0: is... about it. Let's oh talk about man. it. <laughs> I want to because... get. I want to deep, deep dive into it
1: <laughs> because it's so unjust, you know. And I think, you know, back to advocacy and why cannabis. I mean, imagine now cannabis has turned into a multi-billion dollar industry and there's still people who are in jail because of cannabis possession. Like if that is not obscene, then I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. And so we have, we have legalized cannabis, but we have done nothing for the people who have been heavily sanctioned over the years. And, and, you know, let us be clear that it's not just people. It is like by and large, brown and black bodies, you know, I mean, I think 80% of the cannabis criminalization was perpetrated. I shouldn't say perpetrated, but affected, affected, um, you know, people of color. Um, And so black people and indigenous people were, were much more, uh, were, were, were um, charged at A much greater rate than anyone else for the same types of charges. Um, And they were were sent to prison for longer, um, and they're still there. And even with legalization, um, people are still carrying criminal records that um, impact their ability to even participate in the cannabis space, something I find um, really gross about cannabis legalization was that the law actually states that if you ever were charged with cannabis, um, cannabis uh, any type of cannabis related chargers, you couldn't actually apply for an LP. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of the experts from this space who cannot legally work in it. Um, which is just absurd, so the people who are running cannabis are corporate are corporate suits, not people who are actually i I mean, I'm maybe generalizing a little bit. there are people who have made it into the space who really believe in what they're doing. but there's a lot of people who are in it who are part of the sanctioning. I mean, Brian Mulrooney is um on the board for For what was canopy, I mean Julian Fantino is on the board of a cannabis uh, company, and these are people who I mean under the Mulvergoi government, they were tough on crime and tough on drugs and under Fantino people were being um, imprisoned at really alarming rates and now these 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 men are are benefiting um, they are benefiting so much from it financially and their cronies are benefiting from it. Well, the people who've been working really hard either to provide something to people um, because they believe in the plant are still still either languishing in jail or not able to fully participate. Um, I mean, and that's something we're trying to address with pardons, but that really doesn't go Go far enough, like really, um, the laws should should be doing more to to give people, you know, an equal footing in this cannabis space.
0: And and uh, and you're seeing that in New York now that they've legalized, and New Mexico and Illinois, the, the states are individually um, as as of I think the date today, we're up to 17 states. South of the border that have legalized for recreational use, and part of their strategy and their their um, allocation of of tax revenue generated by the industry is to address the social inequities. And yeah. the, 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 the 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 Canadian government hasn't done anything like that, have they?
1: No, not at all. Like, I have to give credit to the Americans in this regard. Like, they really did take their time to see how they could actually make legalization fair and equitable. And that is not something that Canada did. I think we really pushed for legalization more from the recreational side without really considering it holistically Um, And so in America, or say, take New York, some of the tax revenue from from cannabis sales is going towards reparations. And that's not like giving a check to somebody, but that's investing in the communities that were really negatively impacted by the um, war on drugs in the United States. So you Mm -hmm. have communities where a vast majority of the men of a certain you know, certain age group and ethnicity have spent a lot of time in jail because of things like cannabis, which is nuts, you know. Yeah. And so the government recognizes that and they recognize that that has had an impact on families and has had um, multi-generational um, um Um, negative impacts. And so they're trying to correct that. They're trying to correct that with social programs. They're trying to reintegrate people into society with training and education. And that is just something that our government has totally dropped the ball on, but it's not too late. The, the, the great thing is like with law, laws are fluid. They can change and it would be great to see if our laws were um, were open to, to bridging that gap and maybe having um, a percentage of, of the tax revenue going back towards the communities that have been disproportionately affected by by um, the criminality of, of cannabis.
0: That sounds like a great uh, step forward from where we are right now. That would be, uh, I think an essential step forward.
1: An and- essential step forward, yeah. Something like to consider as well is because we're already we're already legal, I would even con- like urge these big licensed these producers who are doing very well. We see that, we see how well they're doing now in the market, uh, that may be using some of their revenue to invest into the people who made it legal um, and into the people who are now affected because of the criminal sanctions. You know, Mm -hmm. um, these cannabis, these big cannabis companies are doing very, very well. And wouldn't it be great if there was a space where they could use their expertise to, to help people who maybe who have criminal convictions so that they can have a second career in the cannabis space? You know, there's so many creative ways that we could actually you know, reintegrate people into society and reintegrate people into the cannabis space legally who have been, you know, marginalized because of our, our laws. Um, and, you know, that would be great. And there's so much potential with that.
0: I agree. I totally agree. And, uh, and, and, um, I think it comes full circle to the beginning of our, our, uh, our podcast interview here, because, you talked about your own ability to marry your interests between uh, agriculture and advocacy and cannabis, and it seems like that's what you're really doing now. You're in the throes of it. what What are you working on now that you're going to be taking with you after articles? Once you become a lawyer, what are you the most interested in pursuing? And and um, and uh, bringing to fruition because there's lots of things to do here.
1: There are a lot of things to do and there's still things that are being kind of discovered. You know, you have conversations and you realize, Oh, wait a second. This is another aspect I hadn't considered. I mean, I mean, ultimately I'd love to have a space where almost like a cannabis collective where people could come together um, and share their resources, you know, share their seats, share their best practices, share education, education for seniors, education even, say, for parents on on what you can use for your parents as an alternative to strong medication for, say, your your child has ADHD. You don't have to give them some very strong drug. Um, and also, you know, people need to get pardons. You know, mm. they, they need to get their criminal sanctions cleared from their records. People need to have... And they just need to have their records removed because it's not really right that people are prevented from traveling, working, you know, even renting a space because they have um, a criminal conviction for something that's no longer illegal. That is not right. And the government has, you know, uh, reduced the costs for um, pardons. But their pardon system right now is not um, equitable. Um, it just doesn't go far enough. It's only for people who have simple possessions. And so something that I'm looking towards expanding on is how to make pardons available for everyone with cannabis convictions. Of course, there's certain areas like say there was violence involved um something of that nature i I mean i wouldn't include it under that umbrella but really and truly why does anyone still have a cannabis conviction Mm -hmm. cannabis is legal Mm -hmm. you know and why are people still sitting in jail for cannabis like i mean i'm not talking about um that real kind of criminal um perhaps um there's a real criminal element when it comes to perhaps gangs i'm not really speaking to to that but there are people who just decided hey i'm i'm going to try and, and 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 share this cannabis and, and some undercover cop didn't like it or someone who was pulled over um and and they found cannabis and shucks like those people should not still be in jail they should be mm-hmm they should have equal participation in our society. And I, you know, part of the advocacy work that I'd like to continue on is making sure that everyone can participate fully, not just in society, but also within the cannabis space.
0: That's a great way to end our discussion. That's fantastic.
1: It's -hmm. been
0: such a pleasure, Henriette. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, hey, well, this has been really great and fun for me, too. I didn't know what to expect, but it's been super, Russell. Like, I'm really happy that we made this happen. And I mean, this is a conversation that could really go on to, in so many different tangents. Um, so, yeah, perhaps it's something that we continue to revisit because there's so much to be said and so much to uncover.
0: Excellent. I look forward to it. Yes, we'll have another one for sure. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Until then.
1: All right. Thanks so much.
0: Thanks for joining us for this interview with Henria Stevens. You can reach her on Facebook or at CannabisLaw.ca. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada on May 11th, 2021. The podcast Engineering was done by my co-producer, Jeremy Benning at Treehouse. The beautiful music was created and performed by Albert Wong. And I thank you for listening and staying tuned for the next episode of Cannabis Law in Canada.